Okay, so good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Good to be here with some of you. See some of you on Zoom. So today we are going to talk about uh, what we're going to do with uh, Ango coming up in a couple of weeks. So uh, to begin with, a few words about Ango and the purpose of Ango. As you know, and if you don't, now you will, Ango dates back to the time of uh, the Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha, when uh, during the monsoons, uh, he, instructors, he instructed his followers to uh, take some time away from traveling, moving about, and uh, staying in one place and deepening their practice. This has become a, part, a very uh, much integrated part of our tradition, and uh, we are using it twice a year. Now, our angos uh, have evolved over the years um, from maybe a more traditional to, I think, a more fitting way of using this, uh, this way of practice, this tool of our practice, as Dogen refers to it. And um, so now we have, uh, we offer workshops to engage with, uh, we offer different ways to support uh, one another throughout this period. And, and the purpose, really the purpose of Ango is to examine where we're at rather than falling into a groove of I'm just practicing. I sit every day, I, I go to the Zendo when I have time, I chant, I read, and that's about it, right? So we always need to examine what does it mean for me to practice? What is practice? What are we doing? Uh, which actually was something we talked about, if you remember, during the summer, about a month ago or so. We talked about uh, uh, the meaning of practice in my life. What does it mean to practice my life? Right? So it's important we don't take this for granted and uh, don't fall into the assumption that we know what it means. Because we really don't, right? As long as we maintain that I don't know what that means, then there is something new, there's another way to practice, there is constant rejuvenation of the meaning, right? Versus knowing or thinking that we know what practice means, that numbs us like anything else that we do on a regular basis. We fall asleep somewhat because we think we understand. So I don't know what practice means is actually good. So let's keep that alive as we examine. Now, Ango also, especially now coming out of summer, is a way to shake things up, to tighten up what is slacking or where slack is, right? So first we have to examine where am I, where is the slack in my life? What am I not paying attention to? What do I need to pay attention to, right? So there is a collective energy to this, but there's a very personal aspect to that. And that aspect has to be examined by each of us as we, in the next two weeks, uh, preparing to enter Ango. That's why we want to do that today, uh, to give an overview, to have a short discussion about that, and uh, to initiate something. So how do we practice our lives? So what is life practice? And this is probably the, one of the most important aspects of practice, right? So there is what we call traditional formal practice, 
And then there is the, the integration of that, whatever I think that is, with my life, whatever I think that is, right? And then there is that gap that we always feel or find between this and that, right? And the gap actually is born, not because there is a gap, the gap is born because I think I know what practice is and I think I know what my life is. And those two are different, right? And then, well, how do I merge those two? That's an assumption that I know what practice is and I know what my life is. And these are one of the assumptions that we have to dissolve or at least examine. Do I know what practice is? Do I know what my life is? I know what I have to do in the morning. I, I know what I have to do in the afternoon. And I know what, you know, the bills I have to pay and all those things. And I look at my past. I know I may know some of the details of what happened. And I have hopes about the future. But is that my life? Is that all it amounts to? Or is there a lot more than that that we are just not seeing or, or blinded to? So the theme uh, of this angle will be uh, dynamic merging. Dynamic merging or dynamically finding alignment, right? So, and when we, I'm going to talk about that theme. I'm going to bring up a few quotes to, uh, to drive this point uh, home. But, uh, but dynamically merging, right? So to examine what does that mean, right? There is the merging, there is the unity, and there is the dynamic aspect of that. Without that, unity is just a scholarly thing I engage with, right? So where is the dynamic? The question of where is the dynamic aspect is the question of where is my life? What about me? What about this skin bag walking around, right? Often just wasting time, pondering, wondering, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? So to merge, to tighten up, to clarify, to clarify the purpose of this moment, not the purpose of later, but the purpose of this moment or the purpose of my life in this moment. So the head trainee will be Mukan, right there. Raise your hand, I don't think they can see you. Okay. And uh, now Mukan will uh, engage with everybody on a weekly basis, uh, sending an email to check in, uh, to encourage, to share his own experiences working with this uh, theme, uh, his own experiences with practice thus far. And uh, to be to serve as a as, as a, an example practitioner, right? The way we need to practice. Now, Mukan will do what he can to help everybody, and everybody will do what they can to help Mukan, right? So it's not one-sided, right? We're all supporting and elevating each other all the time, all the time. Now, last angle we focused on the theme of interconnectedness. And so to continue in this vein, this angle, we will turn towards the actualization of unity in our everyday life, which is really what we mean by dynamic merging, right? So we examined, we looked at interconnectedness. We, we, we looked at how things co-arise and uh, affecting one another all the time, not, again, not one direction, but the all directions. So now, here is that, and then here I am. Where's the gap? 
I may get it intellectually. I may understand. I may, maybe I've, I've uh, di- did some diving into some text about it and uh, I got it, or at least vaguely I got it, but where is my life in relation to that? And I want to also connect it with, uh, with Aikido because it is very much about that. Uh, so Aikido itself, Aikido, these are three characters, right? The first one, I, means harmony. Harmony or unity or merging. The second one, key, is energy. And, and the third one, do, is the way. And together is the way to merge, to harmonize, to unify the, the energy of the world with the individual energy, right? which is what we're talking about, right? So examining our own disconnectedness in relation to interconnectedness. Right? Examining the way we are seeing it, the way we are feeling it, or experiencing it in our lives. So, a couple of quotes from O Sensei. He said, Your mind should be in harmony with the functioning of the universe. Your mind, your body, your entire existence should be in harmony with the functioning of the universe. Your body should be in tune with the movement of the universe in tune with the movement of the universe. Body and mind should be bound as one, unified with the activity of the universe. It sounds like big words, but what is the energy of the universe or the movement of the universe, right? And this is not something to read about as much as to experience, because the movement, the energy of the universe is doing what it's doing. Whether we look at it, whether we turn towards it, turn away from it, it doesn't really care, it doesn't mind. It will do what it does. Now, to, to study that, to understand that, we have to quiet down, which we do on a daily basis, quiet down within and allow it to penetrate, allow it to move us. So the, there is the movement of the universe And then there is me thinking about me, sitting down, wondering, what is this about? What am I about? Right? So to allow that penetration in both directions. And another one, which I quoted once at the beginning of Sushin, he said, now and again, it is necessary to seclude yourself among deep mountains and hidden valleys to restore your link to the source of life. Breathe in and let yourself soar to the ends of the universe. Breathe out and bring the cosmos back inside. Which is really what we want to do in terms of alignment, in terms of connecting the dots. Everything becomes one. Breathe out and bring the cosmos back inside. Next, breathe up all abundance and vibrancy of the earth. Recognize, appreciate how much richness there is all around and allow that richness to come in. Allow it to penetrate the heart. Allow it to make the heart vibrant, alive, loving, caring, connected. Because this is what it's about. This is what it's saying or telling us. Finally, he said, blend the breath of heaven and the breath of earth with your own becoming the breath of life itself. 
Now, the becoming is more recognizing that the breath of life is your own breath. Your own breath is not your breath as a possession. Same with your life. It's not my life which I'm defending because it's my possession, because it's me and everything else and everybody else is outside of that. That's the illusion that creates the sense of separation, which we have to break through, which we have to shatter. Right? So we have to dissolve it by seeing that the breath of the universe and my own breath are not two. One. Always. Now, how do we do that? So the alignment. So we, there is the inner and the outer, right? So Zazen, we look at Zazen itself. And we have to dive back into Zazen again and again. And even with that, let go of the assumption that, well, I've been sitting long enough. I, I know what that's about. I know what I'm doing here. Right? Because again, we, we, we start to feel this way or think this way, we start to fall asleep. Even when our eyes are open, we can actually fall asleep. So energetically speaking. So what we want to do is bring fresh eyes, fresh examination to our zazen. What is this? What am I doing here? Right? What am I doing here? Not why am I doing it? I need to do it because maybe I decided to do it, I, I believe it's a good way to live my life. Putting that aside, what's going on in my Zazen? Right? Am I actually dissolving barriers? Am I actually sitting and releasing my own grasping on my life, my thoughts, my past, my aspirations, all the people who are for or against me? Because we may very well be doing exactly that in Zazen. Sitting for the 30, 45 minutes, whatever the time says, and then spending that time thinking. Thinking, just thinking. Thinking, feeling, thinking, feeling. And then the time goes by. So is that what we want to do with this time is the question. And maybe we do that with this time and we're not even aware of it because we have, we have been practicing for a while. So to examine my practice first. Now in Zazen, we get in touch when we practice wholeheartedly, right? When we examine how we practice, we get in touch with the ground of being. We get in touch with the core of our existence. Now this is not something that, it's, it's not a black and white thing. We, everybody does. Everybody that sits on a regular basis gets in touch with that to different, to varying degrees and depths. And that doesn't matter. How deeply I get in touch with that is actually secondary or not even relevant. What matters is that we all get in touch with that. Even if we get glimpses, the glimpses of that is are the same thing whether we, we get a glimpse of Two minutes or 30 minutes, we are seeing the same thing. We are experiencing the same essence. So it's not something to be measured or quantified. It's something to, to, to realize, to recognize that I am getting in touch with the essence of all things, with the essence of the universe. So there is that. Now, developing 
during Zazen, we develop and strengthen the sense of unconditional inner stability and unity when we rest in that. When we learn, so we, we recognize that and then we learn to rest in it because this energy is, is deeply nurturing by its essence, by its nature. It is deeply nurturing us. So we can turn towards that, cultivate that, turn towards that and simply rest. Just rest in being, right? So there is the resting in being and there is, well, I have to think about this, this and that. I have to solve a few things in my life. I have to figure out things. So this is what we have to watch for. Am I using that time to try to figure out things in my life or am I actually using this time to simply rest in being and to recognize the, the immense stability, immense stability that it provides. It's not the stability we look for because the stability we look for cannot be found, period. It's a different kind of stability. It's a stability that does not have me in it as separate existence. Very different. So what we have to let go of is trying to find stability in that which is never stable, always changing. My body, reality, everything. Right? So that's not what we're talking about. So we, we uh, arrive at a sense of stability, some sense of stability, and then allowing that stability to provide a nurturing, a nurturing place of rest for us. Right? So we just rest. Now, we, we, have a, uh, we have Zazenkai coming up, right? We have a full day, and then we have a Sashin coming up after that. Those are great opportunities to dive deeply into that and to rest further and further and further in it, right? And to deepen that sense of being, just being. So, and, and often it takes time because the mind has a lot to say. The chatter is, in, is, is incessant. So... That's why Zazenkai uh, provides a great opportunity because at some point, all this uh, repetitiveness just subsides. Again and again, the same old thoughts, the same old thoughts come up and down, up and down, and then we realize, I'm not that interested in myself. I'm not that interested in my life. We have to arrive at that, and it takes time. So Zazenkai and Sushin are great for that. Because there's nothing else going on. There's nothing else going on other than just chewing the same old stuff again and again and again and regurgitate until we just stop doing it. So there is that. Now, what we need to do from Zazen, there is post-Zazen. There's Zazen and there's post-Zazen. So, which is everything else we do, engage with in everyday life. So the, the, the task is to, to take that what we encounter, and to merge from there to merge with everyday activities. From there to merge with the thinking mind, with the emotions, with everything that's going on. Those two. So we may find that, and people often say after, whether it's Zazenkao Sushin, there is that I felt amazingly connected and I felt at peace, I felt ease. And then I lost it all a week or two or three later. 
And that's the problem. There is no merging. There is no alignment. It's not that we don't experience it internally. We do. But there is a gap between what we experience internally and then everyday life. And then it seems like everyday life and other people are the obstacles to me experiencing this state of being, which is not true. But it seems that way. So, so there is realizing the fundamental point through Zazen, and then there's actualizing the fundamental point through the daily work of dynamic merging. Right? So those are, this is the task. And if we don't spend enough time and energy, uh, giving energy to Zazen and making it a very important aspect of our lives, then it will be very difficult to merge and to actualize it. So we have to honor our zazen as a way to honor our lives. We often say that. But even that, even saying that, I don't think we understand the depth of that statement. Honoring our lives is honoring zazen. So now when we get in touch with the ground of being through zazen, we have the advantage of knowing how it feels like to be unified. We know how it feels like to be unified. We may not be able to describe it. We may not be able to think about it. But we know it by experience. We know it by experience. And that is very important. It's key. So then when we know how it feels like to be unified, we also know how it feels like to be scattered. We know how it feels like. I feel at unit. I feel at one meant. I feel unity. I feel connected, or oh, I just feel at ease for no reason at all, right? For no logical reason, maybe. Why do I feel at ease right now? I still have all these issues to tackle in my life. I still have an impossible schedule to work with. I still have all those things I need to do, yet I'm sitting down, I'm turning my attention inwardly, and I'm at peace. I'm at ease. It almost doesn't make sense. But this is what we have to do. We have to bring that to the chaos of our everyday life. That's probably the most important task of practice or of a practitioner. So we have the advantage of knowing how it feels like to, to be unified or at ease and knowing how it feels like to be scattered and all over the place. So it's like developing an inner compass, right, during Zazen that can be used as we function through the day, if we turn towards it through the day, right? Rather than leave our zazen behind or what we encounter in zazen and then get lost again and again in our everyday life. So where is that now, right? Because as, as we said many times, we've said many times, if I did not have the capacity to experience this, I will never experience it even in zazen, right? How would I experience something that I do not have the capacity to experience. And that means one thing. It means it's always there. Wherever we are, whatever we do, doesn't change that. The capacity is there. It's just that we give permission to everyday stuff to take over. And that becomes the predominant factor in our life. So how do I change that? How do I merge what I experience on the cushion and everyday life? So the daily task, to merge with the unified 
inner state of being to merge, merge that with the often chaotic and daunting state of our changing reality. Now, the challenge is we have to do it in motion, right? We cannot just, life is going on and is, is chaotic and is moving very fast. I can't just pause it, turn inwardly, find what I found, now play again, okay, now I can merge. There is no, we don't have that luxury. Nobody does. So the question is, how do I merge in motion, right? Kind of like merging onto a highway. You don't just show up. You merge in motion. You have to, so your speed, right? The speed of your car. You guys in Bermuda don't have highways, but you understand the point. But so, uh, so to merge in motion, right? So I have to pick up speed as I merge with the, with the going traffic, because the traffic is going 75 miles an hour. And life is going 100 miles an hour, which means I need to move. Now, my clinging, my attachments, my identifications are slowing me down. Because I'm grabbing a hold on to things, like being in a river. The river is flowing and I'm grabbing onto what roots and, and rocks or whatever I find. And then, at some point, obviously, the, the current will take me forward. But by the time it takes me forward, there's a lot of wasted energy. Maybe I'm going to scratch my hands because I refuse to let go of who I think I am, of my past, or whatever I am identified with. And I get injured because I refuse to let go. So, and just examine. Don't take my word for that. Examine your own life. Examine the many times you have insisted on grasping and look at what it did. It never worked. But what it did is it left you with a sense of, it left you somewhat injured on, on some level. So it doesn't work, right? So we have to merge in motion. And it also means to, to discover the, the frequency of our own being and to match that with the frequency of the world. Right? The world has its own frequency, and I have my own frequency, whatever that is. And I need to discover, I need to match those frequencies. So then there's no gap, there's no resistance. We can say it in many ways, there are many analogies to use for that. If you come up with a good analogy that works for you, use that. The point is, here is me, and here is life, and where's the problem there? Why are those two... Two, appear as two. Why do they appear as two? So, first we have to become aware of the gap, right? Become aware of the gap between the inner state of being and the outer state of reality. Second, we have to recognize the inner resistance and grasping. So we have to recognize that this is not something I'm, I can point at the world and say the world is to be blamed for, my, for, for, the, for the gap for the fact that I am not in alignment, right? Because the resistance is in me. It's all, it always comes down to me, all of it. The suffering and the relief, the relief of suffering. It's all up to us. We can blame, it's not gonna work, and it's also not true. Because blaming others is blaming ourselves. So we have to recognize that. And then the third one is learning to yield and merge. So that's the merging on a highway, right? So learning to merge. And it's, it's a 
There is a learning curve to that. It's not a switch. We have to be willing to learn how to merge with everyday life. So we have to examine. Something happens. I don't like it. I don't like it. Right then and there, here is a gap. Here is the gap. I don't like it. Right? So if I work with that not liking and dissolve it, then I merge. What am I losing in this process? Or what is it that I don't want to lose by merging? Because I don't want to lose something. Because when I say I don't like it, I'm holding on to something. And I'm expressing that somethingness to the world. So when I dissolve that, then I find that I am actually much greater than I think I am. But it takes the letting go to discover greatness. We don't let go, we do not discover greatness. So I just want to, the couple of quotes I want to turn towards from uh, Chogyam Trumpa. <coughs> this is comment, this is from commentaries on all Buddhist texts of 59 practical slogans for mind training, the Lojong. And this one, the slogan is, if you can practice even when distracted, you are well trained. And I need to drink. So, if you can practice when, you dis when distracted, you are well trained. And it is a matter of training. So he says, in the commentary, we have all kinds of situations that have, we have to handle in ordinary life. Even states that we are not aware of. But we are not particularly concerned about our existence. We are more concerned with our neurosis and our games. If we are in a very high level of uptightness, as soon as that happens, there is no awareness. So the uptightness basically distracts us away from being aware, right? Because we are uptight. And uptightness is the same as stagnation, as grasping. There is no movement. There is no dynamic. There is stagnation. I'm holding on to something, right? So there, is, so there is no awareness, as he says. But we can also immediately experience a sense of awareness. Now what he's saying is that it is doable, it is possible, it is available. Traditionally, any chaos that came up was regarded as a shout for some kind of holiness or help, blessing or prayer. In our ordinary everyday life, in theistic traditions also, each time something suddenly comes up, we say, goodness, look at that. Or we utter sacred names like Jesus Christ, right? We say that. We all say that. People say that. Why? And he says, traditionally, that was supposed to be a reminder for awareness. We take those things for granted. Linguistically, we do this or that. But what he's saying here is very important. It was supposed to be a reminder to look within, to come back home to turn towards being, to turn towards who you truly are. Doesn't work anymore, obviously, but that's, that was the idea. So we have to make it work again. But we never use it that way these days, he said. We just use swear words in the most degrading way, right? Very true. The idea of this slogan is the realization that whenever situations of an ordinary nature or extraordinary nature come up, our pot boils over or our steak is 
turn into charcoal, or suddenly we slip and lose our grasp. A sudden memory of awareness should take place. So we should bring it up. It doesn't come up. We should turn towards it. So there is something that we need to do. There is taking responsibility to be reminded or to remind ourselves of a larger, deeper sense of being. So we don't allow this to destabilize us. He says that Jamgon Control, an 18th century Tibetan Buddhist scholar, wrote about a well-trained, powerful horse who loses his balance and suddenly regains it again through losing it, right? So losing is not a bad thing. Losing balance, well, losing balance. Walking is losing balance, right? If we refuse to lose balance, we cannot walk. It's as simple as that. Walking is dependent on losing balance. I lose balance, put my foot forward, I regain it. If I do not want to lose balance, I cannot move. I am as good as dead. If I'm, if I'm unwilling to fall down, if I'm unwilling to make mistakes, I am stagnant, I'm frozen, I'm not active. I'm not active, I'm not dynamic in life. Right? And we make such big deal of losing balance as if, as if it's wrong. It is a part of life, essential part of life. Now this is something we have to train, if you remember, I mentioned uh, a couple times that oh sensei, somebody asked him, the founder of Aikido, uh, how come you never lose your balance? And he said, I always lose my balance. I just regain it so fast that you do not see it. And this is where training comes in. It's not that he was trying to not lose balance. He actually got so acquainted, deeply acquainted with the process of losing balance that he studied it. He studied losing balance so he knows how to deal with it, rather than reject losing balance. That doesn't work. So he said he suddenly regained it through losing it. And the sutras talk about the bodhisattva's actions being like those of a well-trained athlete who sleeps on a slippery surface and in the process of sleeping regains his or her balance by using the force of the sleeping process. And this is exactly what we do in Aikido. We fold, we, are, we develop the willingness. Well, first of all, we have to develop, we have to train ourselves to fall safely. And then we are willing, we develop the willingness to fall because we no longer see falling as a problem. We see falling as a continuation of flow. So the fall actually helps us, if we continue that energy, the fall itself or the energy produced by the fall is the energy that propels us back up to our feet. If we don't want to fall, well, we will fall anyway. But if we don't want to fall, we will freeze. We will more likely get injured when we fall and have difficulty coming back up. But if we agree with the fact that we are falling, if we, agree with the fact, if we agree with the fact that we are disintegrating, then life stops being a threat or a problem or a foe. Life becomes an ally, right? That we become a part of it. It's just that we, we have this idea that it's not supposed to be this way. And because of this idea, there is a gap. So what we want to do is examine those ideas 
and then train ourselves in taking chances and falling down. And then learning how to use the fall, the energy produced by the fall, to regain balance. So he's saying here it is uh, similar, I suppose, to skiing. Some of you uh, probably know about skiing, where you use the force that goes down and let yourself slide down through the snow. Suddenly you gain, you gain attention and develop balance out of that. Right? I mean, skiing is obviously allowing for movement. When you allow for movement, then you can ski. If you don't want to move, you're not going to ski. Right? So in that movement, there is losing balance. There is inner agreement with the outer reality. And the outer reality is moving at a certain speed. And the inner state of being is saying, okay, I am willing to do that. I'm willing to take a chance. Then there is alignment. Then there is being on the same wavelength. And then he says, so whenever there is the sudden glimpse or sudden surprise of losing one's grip, that seeming fear of losing grip of one's reality can be included properly. To do so, there is a need for renunciation. It is not your chauvinistic trip that you are a fantastically powerful and strong person and also have a sense of mindful, mindfulness taking place all the time. But when something hits you, which is a result of an unmindfulness, then suddenly the unmindfulness creates a reminder automatically to be mindful. So you actually get back on track, so to speak, able to handle your life, able to flow through your life. We begin to realize that we can actually practice in spite of our wandering thoughts. It's phenomenal, right? So what we think is a barrier can be included in what we, what we, in the practice, and it can help us get to that state of being where we want to get to, right? It's not a barrier. It is actually food and nourishment for our practice. Everything and anything that happens can be food for that, can be reminders for that. So there is that. And then another shorter quote, uh, this one uh, is about the slogan, drive all blames to one. It's all your fault, basically. Right? Who wants to do that? It's all your fault. Anything that happens, my fault. Right? How many people will do that? But this is the practice. This is actually the medicine. So then he says in that uh, commentary, everything is based on our own uptightness. All suffering comes from our own uptightness. We could blame the organization. We could blame the government. We can blame the police force. We could blame the weather. We could blame the food. We could blame the highways. We could blame our own motor cars, our own clothes. We can blame an infinite variety of things. But it is we who are not letting go not developing enough warmth and sympathy. And I think this is, this is phenomenal. Yeah, we are uptight and our uptightness does not allow us to develop enough warmth and sympathy. It's opposite of what we think, actually, right? So it is, it is us not developing warmth and sympathy which makes us problematic. 
So we cannot blame anybody. We cannot blame anybody. Turn it around, right? Not as a martyr, oh, it's all my fault, and look at me, and I'm taking the, I'm falling on the soul. No, no, because it's one. It's one. So when, when you drive all blames to one, you elevate oneness. You elevate oneness. You take the responsibility to elevate oneness. Right? Well, yeah, I want other people to start behaving in sane ways first. That's not what a bodhisattva does. A bodhisattva is the one who takes the initiative regardless of what happens. And then he says, this slogan applies whenever we complain about anything. Even that our coffee is cold or the bathroom is dirty. It goes very far. Everything is due to our own uptightness, so to speak, which is also known as ego holding, ego fixation. Since we are so uptight about ourselves, that makes us very vulnerable at the same time. We consequently provide the ideal target, right? We, when you raise a target you invite an error. How do we raise the target? By holding on to a fixed sense of self. Me, I am, right? I am a part of you. Saying that, thinking that, invites errors because I raise a target. When there is no I, there is no error because the error is aimed at you. If you're not there, Error goes right through. Right through. And this is, again, back to Aikido. This is the principle. You stop. You get hit. You get out of the way. The force moves through. Now, it's not that simple because we have to take the energy and redirect it through movement. So you have to match the speed of the energy with your own speed, right? So it takes practice. But the idea is... Learn, look at the speed of the energy coming at you. Look at life. Study that. Move with that. Not with, well, I'm moving 50 miles an hour. That's it. That's my, my, my speed, my ideal speed. Well, great. May not work. Or it will not work very quickly. Right? What's my speed? What's the speed of reality? Who am I? I don't know. Who is re- what is reality? That's how we know who we are. That's how we know how to move. Rather than looking at ourselves, we look at the world. So he says it applies all the time to everything. We provide the target, the ideal target. We get hit, but nobody means to hit us. We are actually inviting the bullets. So there we are in the good old world, driving all blames into one is a very good idea, he says. It is a very good idea. So there are many ways we can do it, and this is just preliminary, right? So we're going to talk about it, unpack it, examine where we're at with it, uh, use all aspects of practice to, to drive this home. So for example, chanting. Chanting is an expression of unity. I like chanting. I don't like chanting. Who cares? That's not the point. It's part of practice, right? So... Am I using it as a, as a part of practice or am I just standing on the side commenting on this I like or I don't like? So if I understand that it is one of the many upayas that we have in practice, 
then I can be more open to that as a way of practice. And it can be the, used as a practice of dynamic merging. I, so we are chanting together, and if you listen, you will hear not everybody is on the same right, tune, right? I mean, not that we have to be singers and we don't all have the same talents, but that's not the point. But we can learn to match the speed and the voice, right? The, the, the level of our voice. We can learn to match that with everybody. So I, I have to examine, am I chanting too fast, too loud, not loud enough, too quiet? Am I not chanting at all, right? All those things are, are showing us our state of being, our state of mind, showing us our grasping, right? And then releasing, releasing and merging with everybody. So we keep working on creating one voice, one voice that has many colors, has many energies, but it's one voice. So it's a phenomenal way to practice, practice the theme of this angle. So dynamic merging. Okay, there's a lot more to say about this and uh, we will talk more about it and practice it, but what I wanna do is uh, just allow, so there will be workshops to uh, enhance this theme. So I wanna allow the people that are going to lead the workshops to talk a little bit about it. So uh, how about you, Sukiyoko, you wanna talk first? Uh, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you, this stand. Thank you. So, uh, I'm looking at the people who are here today, and uh, the majority of people who are here have taken the focusing workshop, or um, have had a little experience with focusing. Um, so that's kind of fine. Um, <laughs> since I'm going to try to describe focusing. Um, the focusing workshop will have four meetings. It will begin on the 19th of October, following session uh, on a Wednesday evening. So it will take place on Wednesday evenings from 7.30 to 8.30. There will be uh, four meetings with the possibility of a fifth following the end of session if anybody would like to have another session to just talk about their experiences. Um, so in listening to the Tay Show, uh, it, um, I felt very fitting to me to do focusing in connection with all the things that John Muir was talking about. Um, the focusing that I do, that I started about 11 years ago, is called interrelationship focusing. And this style of focusing emphasizes the radical acceptance of everything we experience inside. Uh, non-resistance to what we experience, but um, bringing a loving attention to our experience of uh, all the things that we might call resistance, obstruction, things about ourselves we don't like. Uh, learning to um, 
settled into a state where we can um, be present with those things and not push them away. So yesterday, Rezan said to me um, that his experience of focusing lately is that in Zazen, he, his uh, practice is to see things arise and uh, pass away, and to allow things to rise and pass away, whereas in his practice and focusing at the moment, uh, he is instead turning to those things that he's been allowing to pass away in Zazen, particularly those things that keep coming up, those thoughts, those emotions, those body sensations that um, are repetitive, habitual, and that we don't like, that we don't want. So um, it's using a slightly different technique it may be the same uh, aim of development. Um, for me, uh, focusing has actually helped me with Zazen. It has helped me learn what gentleness feels like uh, and helped me to see that while I thought I was just paying attention to things in Zazen, I was actually paying attention with an aggressive attitude that um, was very unfriendly. Um, so as some of you know, focusing is a technique that has uh, usually done with a partner because that enhances the experience. Uh, it's an instructed awareness practice uh, that puts a lot of emphasis on experiencing what's happening in our body. Um, it's a practice that, for many people, connects Zazen with uh, the situations in our lives, which is just what we were talking about. Um, here is what Jean Guru has said his impression of focusing is. A way of helping us get in touch with aspects of our being that are there, but which we are unable to see and which are affecting us in myriad ways because everything is interconnected. This can have a positive domino effect on everything in our lives. Um, I would like to say that although often the subject of focusing is our emotional, repetitive kinds of experiences we have in our lives, um, it can be uh, applied to any situations in our lives, like um, finding our keys, uh, a creative pro project, a work situation, um, a scientific theory. Uh, the person who originated focusing um, said that he thought Einstein used a focusing kind of attitude to develop a special theory of relativity because he had a sense that there was something there and he didn't know what it was and he made space for that to develop. Um, I'll send out an email. Uh, it will have my contact information and a little more description of the workshop. Please get in touch with me if uh, you have any questions or are not sure whether to take the workshop or not. Um,
a number of people have taken it more than once, so you're free to do that. And um, let me know if I can do any further help. Thank you. Thank you. You want to give it to Kyoto? going to the deepest ocean, being time. The experience of life appears as a series of highs and lows traversing the span from birth to death. We objectify our passage in time through measured emotions and opinions, but where does time end and ourself begin? With transformation from summer to autumn, the natural world slows its cycles and turns inward to gather its energy. Sympathetically, humans find this as a, a natural time for self-reflection and inward contemplation. This fall, Ango, the Timeless Footprint Workshop, will guide participants in their daily practice to merge with time in, in ever-increasing and deeper levels. Drawing inspiration from the environment and our lives, we can engage with our perceptions, emotions, in a dynamic manner that rejuvenate our practice. Turning back to Dogen, sometimes a pillar, a stone lantern, being time. Sometimes Mr. Chang, Mr. Li, being time. Sometimes the good earth and its vast skies being time. By being time, he, the ancient Buddha, means that time is always being, that all that is, is time. The six foot high golden Buddha statue is time. Because it is time, it has time's glorious light. You must study the nowness of the 12 hours. Um, so this workshop is going to meet three times through Ango. We're going to start October 5th, just before we go to Daibusatsu. We will use Discord for some daily activities. Um, we'll also be planning some stargazing sessions, depending on, on weather and the cooperation of the cosmos. Um, anything to add, Tyree? Uh, no, that's it. We'll send that uh, what uh, what you just read out in an email, so people can uh, reflect on that. Okay, thank you. thank you. So, can you hear me? By the way, yeah. Okay. So there will be an email. There's one more uh, sharing, but there will be an email, uh, the Ango announcement email, which will include dates and the Ango form. Uh, which Mukan is working on will also have the dates and information about the uh, the workshop. So you don't have to memorize, write anything right now. It will be explained further. Okay. So Kojin will also offer a workshop, couple of meetings on uh, two Saturday mornings, and uh, he's away right now uh, visiting family in uh, California. So uh, Myogen will read on his behalf. 
what he plans to do. Can everyone hear me? There you go. All right. All right, so Kojin's workshop is called Dynamic Merging. And um, I'm just gonna read a few, I'm just gonna read what he left for us as a description, uh, starting with uh, a few quotes that he included. So, first quote. Um, Zhao Zhou always used to bring up this saying, that is, just avoid picking and choosing. This is from the third patriarch's seal of, the faith, of faith in the heart, which says, the ultimate path is without difficulty. Just avoid picking and choosing. Just don't love or hate, and you'll be lucid and clear. As soon as you have affirmation and negation, this is picking and choosing. This is clarity. As soon as you understand this way, you have already stumbled past. Uh, he took that quote from the Blue Cliff Record case too. So his description reads as follows. The Dynamic Merging Workshop is an Ariyoji Sangha breakout group that will explore the inner dualistic conversations we have with our own minds. In other words, we will examine the inner narrative that our formed sense of self soliloquies with our provisional self in each moment. Asking the questions, who is the one who is talking? Who is the one who is listening? And most importantly, why does our predilection to pick and choose seem so urgent and necessary? We will meet twice during our fall 2022 ongo via Zoom and in person if practical to engage in restorative physical exercises to explore these questions. This workshop is intended to enhance our ongo theme of dynamic. This theme is clearly embodied in the following gatha by Matsu's famous lay disciple, Kwan Yun, layman Han. In my daily life, there are no other chores than those that happen to fall into my hands. Nothing I choose, nothing reject. Nowhere is there a dew, nowhere a slip. I have no other emblems of my glory than the mountains and hills without a speck. My magical power and spiritual exercise consists in carrying water and gathering firewood. Um, there are going to be, um, according to this, there are going to be two sessions. Uh, one Saturday, the first Saturday, October 8th, and the second Saturday, November 5th, from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, you can join the Zoom meeting. There will be a link. This will also, I assume, be emailed. Yeah, everything uh, will be everything will be announced. Um, and he he will um, include his contact information. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so somehow magically it was exactly an hour as we planned. <laughs> I don't know how, <laughs> uh, but it we merged well. Uh, so there will be announcement uh, about it with specific details. Take a look at that, uh, reply, uh, think about what you want to do with this time, how you want to uh, go through this. And also there may be other uh, offerings or offering. Uh, so Enkai is working coordination with her calligraphy teacher uh, about the possibility of offering uh, calligraphy workshop 
but that will depend on how many people are willing to make a commitment to show up because the, the first meeting will, be in, will have to be in person here. So we want to make sure that if we are inviting somebody to come here and to teach us, that we have enough people to support that. So Enka uh, will be in touch with that. It will be either during the Ango or uh, it may be uh, a winter activity if it doesn't work out during the Ango. Right? Again, that will depend on how many people are willing to, to join and support that. Okay? So Enka, you want to say a few words or are you going to write about that? with Kyotai last night, um, I think that we'll save it for actually the winter intro period as far as the, the workshop, um, the intro workshop. But uh, Dion, uh, Tyru, Kyotai, and I have been uh, doing sutra copying with our friend Ines, who's teaching us calligraphy for, for some time now. And um, she has a regular Wednesday night uh, offering that I will follow up with email and on Discord about. Um, that you're welcome to join. It's not a formal ongo offering, but it's uh, it's a writing for nonviolence related to the Ukraine war or the war in Ukraine. Um, but uh, but I think our thing I will follow up more later with the rest of the details. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so one last thing. Remember that uh, we have uh, Sashin coming up and uh, it requires uh, registration, uh, confirmation and registration. We need to know how many people are going to be there. So please, if you haven't done so yet, please confirm that you are participating and then we will include you uh, on the list and uh, we'll take it from there. All right, and let me know if you have questions about that. Email me. Okay, so four bows. Each of us must strive to awake us.